Good morning. Welcome to New Horizon Online. Me and Jesse are the only ones here in the room, but I know that lots of you are tuning in from living rooms and vehicles and in town, out of town. I don't know where you are, but I believe God's got a word for all of us today. And I'm excited to, to bring that word. Um, real quick, I want to invite you, if you have a tithe or an offering that you want to give, go to Tithely and give that. I know I'd like to apologize because I guess last week when I gave this announcement for you guys to go to Tithely and give, I guess the video feed messed up or something because I noticed most of you didn't do that. So uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you for your faithfulness um, and, you know, jump on there and, and give your tithes and offerings out of obedience to God. And thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your support and for being the body, whether we can meet together in person or not. I'm going to open us up with prayer and then, then we'll get started. Jump right in. God, thank you. God, there are all kinds of things in our life that we can be disappointed about or that we can question you about or we can get upset about. But God, ultimately, today we remind ourselves that you're in control, that you're bigger than any circumstance, you're bigger than anything that we have or will ever face. And God, we believe that you have a word to speak to our hearts and our minds today. And even though we're not meeting together in person, God, we believe that you're speaking, that you're always speaking. So today we push back the distractions. Today we tune our ear to hear from you. God, today we give you permission to go into the dark places of our mind and speak to us, to change the way we think, to change the way we act. God, today we prepare a space for you and for your presence. We're looking for you. We're looking for a touch. God, some of us are desperate for a miracle, for a healing. We're desperate for your voice. Speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're turning with me, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. That's where we're going first. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Today, I want to talk to you about the spaces that you are creating. And whether you know it or not, we're all creating or preparing spaces in our lives, in our world, in our relationships. We create atmospheres in our homes and in our family. We create spaces for ministry. Are you ready? Here's the big one. The spaces that you're creating in your mind. We all do it. So whether you know it or not, you create, you prepare spaces in your mind. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. This is huge. You know, if you create a space for hope, then it's much easier to have hope. We talk about the hope for the future, hope. Faith in the future. Hope is the belief that God's going to come through and do what he said he would do. The, the belief that God is in the future and he's calling you to it. Well, if you've prepared a space in your mind for hope, then it's a whole lot easier to have hope. 
Do you want a rabbit? No, thanks. I've got nowhere to put it. Oh, well, it comes with a cage and half a bag of food. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, I'll take the rabbit. Any of you ever been there? Jesse's shaking her head. No, we won't take the rabbit. But you get the point. Like, it's easy to, to reject something or say, no, I don't want it in my life if I have nowhere to put it and nothing to feed it and I've not made provisions for it. But if I've got a cage and a bag of food and, oh, why not? I'll take it. See, if you have a place to put it, then it makes it easier to keep it. Now, if I use the whole entire church property, this whole 60-acre campground that we have here, and I use the whole thing and made it into a sanctuary or a habitat for rabbits, I wouldn't hesitate to say, yeah, I'll take the rabbit. I would take rabbits from everyone. In fact, so that my habitat and sanctuary would be a success, I would be out looking for rabbits, people that are giving away rabbits to just bring them because I have created a huge space, right? I've created an environment. I don't want to create spaces in my mind where I can take care of fear, right? Where I can feed fear where I can hold on to it. I don't want to create spaces in my mind where I can hold on to anger, where I can feed anger. I don't want to create spaces in my mind and in my life where, where I can take care of lust or greed or, or doubt. See, I don't want to build it a home and feed it and hold on to it. No. Charles Spurgeon said, you might not always get what you want, but you always get what you expect. Your expectations. So what are you expecting from God? What are you expecting to get? What do you expect out of your life? Do you expect that even if you, you can't see God moving in a big way, He's working? Even when I can't see it, you're working like, what are you expecting out of your life? What do you expect out of your kids? What, what are your expectations? Anybody need a miracle? Maybe in your finances or some of you need a miracle in your marriage or health, in your kids. So what do you expect? I want to look at this story in Mark 5. Um, we're going to look at verse 21, and then I'm going to skip up a little bit and read the rest of the story. But Mark 5, 21, Jesus and the disciples have been doing ministry, and they, they heal this demoniac, and then they're on a ship, and they're coming across the sea. And the Bible tells us that there was a huge crowd of people gathered, like waiting in anticipation for Jesus and what he would do when he came back. So as the boat starts coming towards the shore, there's this huge crowd of people and we're going to look at this one guy that was in the crowd. So he's been waiting. He's waiting on Jesus. Mark 5, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship 
unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. So he was one of the rulers, Jairus. He was respected, well-known, and he was waiting with the crowd of people. Waiting on Jesus. Verse 23 says, and besought him greatly, or that means he begged. He begged him. So this is a distinguished ruler of the synagogue. He's out there waiting, and people are noticing him, recognizing him probably, thinking, what is he doing here? Why is he waiting waiting on Jesus and as soon as Jesus hits the shore he's the first one to him running out of desperation and he's begging him and he besought him greatly saying my little daughter lieth at the point of death I pray thee come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live he's saying God I need you God, I don't need you like tomorrow. I don't need you to come through sometime in the future. He's saying, God, I need you now. Like right now, she's about to die. There's no time left. My daughter's laying in the bed and she's not going to make it. I need you right now. I need you to come through. I need you to do something big like I can't figure it out. I don't know what to do. I've been waiting here and waiting and waiting on you to come back across the sea with all this crowd of people. And I know they probably all need something too, but God, I need you now. So then Jesus says, okay, let's go. And they all start walking. And this giant crowd of people starts pressing on Jesus and pushing on the disciples. And, and we know the story. If you go on and read, this is where the woman with the issue of blood, she presses through the crowd and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like making a big joke of it like, what do you mean who touched you? All these people pressing around. Probably a thousand people have touched you since we got off the boat. And they're like, that was a good one, Peter. And they're all just laughing and joking. And imagine Jairus. Like, we don't have time for this. I don't have time for this crowd. I don't care about your jokes. Like, I said I need you now. My daughter's not going to make it. Let's go. So I just told you what happens in that part of the story. We'll skip up to verse 35. Skip the part of the story that I just told you. Verse 35, while he yet spake, like he's talking to the woman that he just healed, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. So in the middle of Jesus talking, some people came from his house and said, hey, she's dead. It's too late. Why troublest thou the master any further? Forget about it. There's no point in bothering him anymore. He didn't have time for you. Let's go. Forget about it. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. What's Jesus telling him? Hey, don't let fear take over. Don't be afraid. Don't create a space 
for that fear. Just believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So Jesus said, hey, only Peter, James, and John can go. Let's go. Jesus' inner circle. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. He saw the funeral procession, and these professional mourners were out there mourning and crying already that she's gone, she's dead. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. This is the laugh of dishonor. The laugh of disbelief. Jesus said, hey, here's the truth. She's just asleep. She's not dead. And they busted out laughing at him. This guy's an idiot. You don't think we know when somebody's dead? She's dead. She's not breathing. He said she's just asleep. What an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, bless his heart. He's got a lot of hope and optimism, but he doesn't know what reality is. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, that's a nice way of the scripture here telling us that Mark told us that uh, Jesus said, get out. Get out of the house. You can't be in here. You can't be in here. I can't have this. This disbelief, this doubt, y'all laughing, the dishonor must go. He put them all out of the house. And he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him. And he entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and he said unto her, Talutha kum, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and she walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded, wait, ready? Jesus just did a miracle. Jesus just did the impossible. And then immediately after the miracle, as Jesus did so many times, he gave a commandment. Remember he healed the lame man? He said, take up your bed. Right? Every time he healed somebody, then he gave them some instruction or some commandment. I want you to keep that in mind. He commanded that something should be given her to eat. Hey, she's alive. They're all celebrating. He says, now go cook some food. Give her something to eat. So Jairus came expecting. He was expecting Jesus to do something for his daughter, and Jesus did. We have no idea how long he was there waiting. He was with the huge crowd, and a huge crowd doesn't just appear. It kind of gathers and swells, and they find out, oh, this is where Jesus is coming. And so some of these people could have been waiting there for hours and even days. 
We don't know how long Jairus was waiting, but we know that he was waiting with the crowd. We just read it. And he was expecting Jesus to do something. But then he had to wait. He waited there on the shore. And then Jesus showed up. And in the waiting, he had to watch someone else get the miracle that he so desperately needed. Like, I've been waiting, I've been desperate, I've been crying out for the miracle, and then Jesus stops and heals this woman with an issue of blood and nothing mean or bad, but, you know, she's older, she's lived her life, she's done her things, and, and my daughter's just a little girl, and I, I've waited and waited and waited and watched God bless somebody else and bless somebody else, and, and I've worked so hard for this promotion, and I watched somebody else get it, and... You ever been there? You ever watched somebody else get the spouse or the promotion or the healing or the car or the ministry or the when when you've cried out and heaven seems silent? Like God doesn't have time to respond and someone else gets it. He waited and waited when you've been asking God for something and it seems like he doesn't hear you so I'm going to give you three things the first thing first thing that I want to tell you today is don't allow your waiting to rob your expectation don't lose your expectation don't get me wrong like as Christians, we're supposed to have patience. It's part of the fruit. We're supposed to have patience. Like we're supposed to wait. But if you want to see a miracle, then don't allow your waiting or your patience to rob you of expectation or hope. That's what expectation is. It's the hope of what is to come. And I've seen it happen so many times that in the waiting, in the silent season, in the, the unanswered prayers, in the, in the waiting on Jesus to give me my miracle or come through for me, then it's easy to lose hope. Don't let this season that you're living in right now steal your hope. Because it will if you let it. The reality is we're all expecting something. Every person listening to the sound of my voice right now, you are expecting something whether you know it or not. We're all expecting something. Hope expects that something good will happen. Hope. Fear expects that something bad will happen. We're all expecting something. Is it hope or fear? Expectation is huge. Remember, um, Job said, the thing I feared the most came upon me. The thing I was so afraid of and I, the thing I was expecting, my expectation. In other words, I prepared a space for that to happen and it did. 
this is true with good or bad. The spaces that we create and prepare in our mind and we think about and we expect and then it happens. Good or bad. I, last week, uh, I got an awesome opportunity to go to a service and, and we did this special service in Colorado um, with Pastor Bruce and Tim and Rick led some worship and stuff. And it was a very powerful service. But the expectation for that service leading up to that service, it, it was almost like it couldn't not be a powerful service. I expected it to be powerful. I expected God to move in a big way. I expected everyone in the room to cry. And so did everyone else. Like, it, it was what was expected. Um, I sent Jesse a text after it and said it was a very powerful service. Not many dry eyes in the room. Jesse's response was, I figured as much. Why? Because there was such an expectation because of the people that were going to be there and because of what it was. And we knew it was going to be powerful. Before it, we sat in a little cabin preparing for the service and talking about what we would do. And we sat in a little cabin and cried just because of the expectations of what we knew God would do in a couple hours in the service. See, hope is believing that God will come through. It's believing that He'll do what He said He would do. And that good is coming. Hope is the eternal optimist. Fear is the eternal pessimist. In verse 35 that we just read, it says, While he yet spake, there came a ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead, or in the Greek language, it's a Greek word. It means expired came and said you're out of time hey it's over hey there's no future give up you're out of time time has expired that's what they were saying to him and can I say that's never God's voice that's not what Jesus said in fact Jesus jumps in right after that and said be not afraid only believe God's voice says, don't believe that. So any voice that's telling you you're out of time, time is expired, it's too late, like God can't fix it, God can't do it, God's not going to come through for you, that's not the voice of God. That's never the voice of God. See, fear says it's over. It's too late. Your time has passed. Leave it to another generation. What all kinds of things fear says hope says the best is yet to come always alright so that's the first one don't allow your waiting to rob your expectation number two clear the room 
clear the room. Jesus had to clear the room. Jesus, God-man, all-powerful. Jesus, miracle-working Jesus. He couldn't do the miracle with all those people in the room. The dishonor and disbelief. Right. He had to clear the room. Remove and replace. Notice after he cleared the room, he came back in with the girl's mom and dad. And Peter, James, and John. The three that he hand-selected to bring with him. Remove and replace. Can I tell somebody today that not everyone can come into the miracle room with you? Not everyone can stay in the miracle. If you want to see a miracle and you want to see God move in a big way, in a powerful way, and you want to prepare a space for hope and faith, you want to be powerful, then not everyone can stay in the miracle room. See, you don't just fill the room with honor. Right? Jesus could have just brought Peter, James, and John in, and the mom and dad in, and and just kind of flooded the room with people that believed, and and people that honored him as the Messiah, and the miracle-working Jesus, and all, and kind of flooded the room. No, Jesus had to get rid of those people, and then bring in the ones that honored him. You don't just fill the room with honor, you must clear the room of dishonor. You don't just bring honor into your mind. You must clear your mind of the dishonor. Because it's fighting against the voice of faith. It's fighting against the voice of hope. Honor in the Greek language. Listen to this. It means to set and determine a value. It is to set and determine a value. So when I honor someone, I am setting and determining the value of that person to me. I'm going to read you Luke 4, verse 24. What Jesus says. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. So this is Jesus talking. And you remember the story where Jesus, uh, there's one story where uh, Jesus wanted to do some mighty works, the Bible tells us, but he couldn't because they didn't honor him. They didn't receive him. The prophet is not accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. He's saying, hey, there were a whole lot of widows in the three and a half year drought and Elijah wasn't sent to the nice Jewish widow family. Nope. He was sent to an outsider. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, another outsider. 
all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. When they heard Jesus say this, all the church people, all the people in the synagogue, they were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of the town. They drove Jesus out. And they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. So they were so mad that they grabbed Jesus and they take him outside of the town and they were going to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. He snuck away. And somehow he just slipped through and got away because it wasn't his time to die getting thrown off a cliff by, by the angry mob and the crowd. They didn't honor him. If all you see is the carpenter's son, then all you will get is tables and chairs. They saw Joseph's boy. They didn't see the Messiah. Your honor determines what you can receive. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't honor anybody, then it's going to be very hard for you to ever receive from the relationships that that God wants to pour into you through. See, we're all made in the image of God. And if you want to know the value of a person, then look at the price that Jesus paid for that person because we all have immense value. But you choose the value of a person by the way that you honor them in your life. In other words, the honor I set for them determines their value to me. Determines what I can receive from them. This is true in your marriage. Some of you don't honor your wife. It's to set the value of It's true with your pastor. It's true with authority, boss. It's true with police officers. You don't honor the authority. You don't set the value. Then you don't benefit from that relationship. It's true with every relationship, even your relationship with God. If you do not properly honor God, place value on that relationship, then you will not invest. You won't pour in. You won't invest in His voice. You won't obey because there's not proper honor there. The value that you set determines what you can receive. You must clear the room of dishonor. And when I say the room, I'm talking about the room of your mind. The house that you've built. Clear the room of dishonor. And can I say you need a, you better have a Peter, James, and John. You notice even Jesus had three dudes that he took with him. That was his inner circle. And when he got ready to go do this thing, he turned around and said, Hey, I need you, you, and you. Let's go. I'm going to need y'all three with me. You better have some people in your life that have created a space for hope, that believe in you, that honor the call that's on your life. 
Not people that are just laughing at you and saying you're an idiot, but I got your back. That's not who you need to take into the miracle room with you. You better have a Peter, James, and John. You better have some people that'll pray, some people that'll, that'll come in with you believing. All right, last one. Third one. Set the table. Set the table. What does that have to do with this? I thought it was very odd when I went back and read that story this week that the commandment that Jesus gave after doing this awesome, crazy miracle and, and the expectations and the miracle and, and the honor and he got rid of the dishonor and all this. And then the last thing that Jesus said to him is, hey, go feed her. Set the table. He raised her from the dead and then he says, feed her? Just because she got a miracle didn't mean she would not need to be taken care of. It's kind of like Jesus said, um, I did my part, now you do yours. Right? I did what I can do, now you take care of her. She's weak and she's hungry and she needs to be fed, so you go prepare some food and feed her. Oh, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Hey, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead. You roll the stone away and take off the grave clothes. See, he always gives us a part so that we can be part of the story. Hey, you bring me the fish and loaves and, and I'll break it. I'll do what only I can do. But I'm going to need you to feed her. I'm going to need you to do your part. I think this is why so many Christians are always desperate for a miracle. Crying out. We got to have, God's got to come through. I got to have a miracle. We, if Jesus doesn't come through, we're not going to make it. Why? Because they don't feed it in between the miracles. If they didn't feed her, then it would just be a matter of time before they needed another miracle. And miracles are awesome and great, and we serve a miracle-working God, and I want to see God come through in my life and do big miracles. But I don't want to be dependent on a miracle all the time because, honestly, miracles are stressful. It's like, oh, God, are you going to come through? Are we going to make it? Oh, oh, God, I'm crying out. I'm believing. I'm expecting you to come through. And then he does, and it's like, oh, God. So let's feed it. Let's do what we can do in between and we won't need so many miracles because it'll be alive. The dream will be alive. The marriage will be full of life. The, the ministry will be full of life because we've been feeding it so we don't need a miracle as often. Does that make sense? The finances will be alive because we've been tithing, we've been giving, we've been living with an open hand and being generous like we're called to be. And so we're not looking for a miracle to get us by so often because we're feeding that thing in between. It's called obedience. So ready, here's the word for somebody. Stop praying about things that you can do. Stop it. And stop trying to do things that only God can do. We waste so much time praying about things that we can do. 
and then trying to do things that only God can do. Let's do what we can do. And let's let Him do what only He can do. Stop trying to control what God's got to do and do what you can do. You can't raise the girl from the dead, but you can feed her. If you're doing your part, if you're reading His Word and listening for His voice and, and you're connected to the body of Christ and you're connected to church, you're giving, you're, you're living a life of gratitude, you're, you're doing what you can do and expecting, you're hoping for the best, then maybe you don't need so many miracles. No, I hate that saying, and I'm sorry if you've said it or maybe maybe somebody listening to me loves it, and that's okay too. But it just really bothers me, that saying. I've heard a lot of people say it. Hope for the best and prepare for the worst. I hate that. And I don't think it's biblical or scriptural. Hope for the best. And prepare for the worst. Because if you're preparing for the worst, that's not hope. That's not hoping for the best. In, uh, in Psalm 31, David wrote this psalm or song. Psalm 31, David wrote this. And the children of Israel would sing this psalm when they were fighting a sickness or a disease. And David, the greatest warrior that Israel's ever known, he wrote this psalm, so I would say he knows a little something about breakthrough and what you would need. And, and I just want to read you the very last verse of this psalm. Psalm 31, verse 24. It says four things. Be brave. Did you know that you can't be brave if there's no fear? So yeah, you're going to be afraid. You're going to have fear. But we choose to be brave. We don't create a space for that fear. We don't feed that fear. We don't hold on to that fear. We reject it. And we choose to be brave. The second one is, he said, be strong. Well, where do we find our strength? In his presence. This fullness of joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, so God, I'm going to be brave even when I'm afraid. Even in the silence. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to choose to be in your presence daily and get my joy up and my strength up and my joy will not be based on circumstances. Third thing he says is don't give up. The voice of God always says don't give up. The best is yet to come. Keep pushing. It's not over. She's not expired. It's not too late for your miracle. You got somebody else. You didn't get passed over. Don't give up. That's the voice of God. And, and the last one, expect God to get here soon. That's hope. Your expectation should always be that God's going to be here soon. Maybe you don't hear him right now. Or maybe it seems like he's been silent. Or maybe you seem, it seems like you've been crying out. And where are you at, God? Hey, it's my turn for the miracle. I'm out of time. 
But my expectation is that God's going to get here soon. I have a hope in the future. If you're preparing for the worst, be careful. Because you are creating and preparing a space for fear and doubt and pessimism to live in your life. But if you are truly hoping and believing for the best, then you won't allow the waiting or the silence to rob your expectation. You'll clear the room of doubt and dishonor. And you will set the table or do what you can do. You know what that does? It creates a space for hope. See, it creates a space in your world, in your life, in your mind for faith, for optimism. Because you believe, you're expecting that God's in your future and that God's in the present and that God was in the past and God's going to come through for me soon. He's going to come through for you soon. Expect that. Let's pray. Hey, God, some of us are desperate. Some of us feel like we're out of time and we need you to come through, and we need you to come through now. God, we're expecting you. Help us to create spaces in our mind for faith and hope and optimism. God, help us to reject fear. God, help us to reject doubt and pessimism and to believe what you said. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. We put our hope in you. And we're looking for you to do what only you can do. But God, our commitment is that we'll do what we can do. Right? That we'll listen for your voice and we will obey. That we won't just expect you to do it and then we'll wait a few months until it's almost dead again and then we'll cry out for you to do another miracle. God, we repent of that and we say we will do what we can do. We will feed it. God, we hear your voice. We thank you for speaking, for touching and moving. We thank you for what you're doing in the earth, in the body of Christ. God, I pray for healing on everybody that's sick. You know exactly what's going on. God, I pray that your hand, your healing hand, right now would touch your people. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to, to pay the sin debt so that we could be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.